You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. But the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be with you tonight as we look at the cross of Christ. That's what our focus is tonight. If you have your Bible, can you turn into John chapter 12? John chapter 12. Um, it's the last gospel. Uh, John, and then it's ver- uh, chapter 12. And uh, if you don't have a Bible... Um, there's, there's going to be one in front of you, maybe underneath the chairs in front of you, underneath the rows. We're going to try to start putting some Bibles underneath the rows in front of you so you don't have to get up and grab one if you don't have one. But as we, as we gather this evening um, to remember nothing other than Christ crucified, that's what we come to remember tonight, Christ crucified. The cross of Christ. This is the very center, and this is the very foundation, and this is the very essence of our faith. It's the message of salvation. It's, it, it should reverberate through our minds and our hearts as we live our lives as Christians. It should constantly be producing repentance and faith. It should be producing a desire and a longing and an obedience to Jesus Christ, to God. The the fact that Christ, the Christ, the Messiah has come to pay the penalty for sin by dying on the cross. And for just a moment, if you flip seven chapters about ahead from John chapter 12, leave your finger in John chapter 12, and if you move just a little bit ahead in John chapter 19, and read with me from verse 28 to verse 30, we'll see the actual verses that describe the the death, particularly of Christ. Let's read them. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop, on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave his spirit. Now, what's interesting is although in this gospel, in John's gospel, there are three verses, three, that that display the actual death, that account for the actual death, the whole Bible is actually about his death. There's only three verses in John's gospel that we rest on to watch Jesus actually die. But this is what the entire Bible is about. And certainly this is what John chapter 12 
through John chapter 19 is about, which is where we're going to spend our time today. We're going to make our way through the gospel of the beloved disciple, the gospel of John, specifically from chapter 12 all the way up to where we just read in chapter 19. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to pick up in John chapter 20, and we're going to head to to the end in John chapter 21. So as I was planning for Easter and the Good Friday service, I thought, why don't we take John 12 and go to the very end of the book in these two nights? And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to get a little bit of help from Luke, particularly, and a little bit of help from Mark. We're going to leave Matthew out, although he could fully help us as well. There's no reason for that. If you put all four together, you'll have a real clear picture. But tonight, the cross of Christ, of course, and Sunday, the resurrection of Christ. So right now, we find ourselves in John chapter 12, and as we follow along, we're going to see four points, okay? Four points until we're finished. Four headings, let's call them. We're going to see first the preparation of Christ. Secondly, we're going to see the obedience of Christ. Third, we're going to see the sacrifice of Christ. And fourth, we're going to see the sufficiency of Christ. I think I forgot. Oh, I I, I did give it to him. See, I knew that. The preparation of Christ, the obedience of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, and the sufficiency of Christ from John chapter 12 through John chapter 19. And we'll pick up in John 20 through 21 on Easter Sunday. So let's start. Number one, what we see is the preparation of Christ as we begin in John chapter 12. Jesus is getting ready for his death. Like a lamb being ready to be slaughtered. We'll see in in these chapters starting in 12 that Christ is being prepared. You see in chapter 12, if you have your Bible, look down in verse 1. It was six days before the Passover, and Jesus therefore came to Bethany. He came to the region of Bethany six days before the Passover. The Passover is on Friday, so Jesus came to Bethany on Saturday. And this was a week and a day before the resurrection. Get it? Saturday to Saturday plus one day, Sunday. And we see right away, listen, Jesus being prepared for his death. Because in these first eight verses, we see Mary anoint Jesus with oil. Almost as as if they're readying, again, a lamb to be slain. The next day on Sunday, after he enters into Bethany, so he enters in on Saturday, the next day on Sunday, what we see in verse 12, says, the next day, right? He enters into Jerusalem. That's what we call what? What is it? Palm Sunday, the next day. He enters into Bethany on Saturday. He enters into Jerusalem on Sunday, which is a very close journey. After that, John gives us this account from what happened on Sunday and Palm Sunday, the entrance into Jerusalem, until the Passover meal on Thursday evening. All of this takes place between John chapter 12 and about John chapter 19 until we see him come out from the upper room. 
So what happens here? Well, look at verse 23. John chapter 12, verse 23. We've already had the entrance into Jerusalem. He says this. Jesus makes clear what's about to happen. He says in verse 23, my hour has come to be glorified. He says in verse 24, chapter 12, if he doesn't die, he won't bear fruit, the fruit of salvation. He says in verse 27, his soul is troubled. In verse 27, he says, this is the purpose for which he has come. Listen, in verse 28, he says, this is his plan to glorify his father's name. In verse 32, he says, I got to be lifted up. In verse 32, he says, I'll draw all men to him. To him to myself. In verse 33, he says it plain. This Luke says this, or John says this was to to show what kind of death he was going to die. He was telling all of this to prepare everyone for what was about to take place, which was his death. His death started, death in the world started on a tree, and death would be finished on a tree. Sin started on the tree, and Jesus would make atonement for sin on a tree. But still they ask in verse 34, who is this? They said, they had, it's, John says they had signs, but they still didn't believe. They still didn't believe. And this was to fulfill what was said in Isaiah. Look, on the screen, Isaiah 53, who has believed what he has heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Or Isaiah 6 says, make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, the blind, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and, and be healed. They, they heard this, but they didn't understand. Listen, you know what it says in verse 42? Keep following through. That even the authorities believed, but they would not confess Christ because they were scared to be put out of the synagogue because they loved the glory of man more than the glory of God. This was all preparatory. So listen, here's what happens. He enters Jerusalem on Sunday. He stays there Monday. He stays there Tuesday. He stays there Wednesday. He goes back to Bethany on Wednesday, and then he comes back into Jerusalem on Thursday. He goes back, he spends the night, and he comes back in on Thursday. And he came because the feast approached. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But what's happening at this time, Luke tells us that the chief priests, the scribes, the officers, and Judas, they're all coming up with a plan to do what? Kill him. But what happened is, They want this to be done away from the crowd. This is the worst time for this to happen. They want this to be done away from the crowd because they were afraid that the crowd would rise up and oppose them. Plus, this is the time when all the lambs are being slaughtered for the Passover. There's too much significance here. They want Jesus to be killed, but they want him to be done. They want it to be done in secret. They're scared of the people. They're slaughtering lambs. And he comes from Bethany into Jerusalem In order to have this supper, Judas, at this point, has already been planning Jesus' death for a week. He started when they entered, right? And it's almost been a full week. He's been planning. Can you talk, talk about a guilty conscience if you had one, right? And did you know that they're not only trying to kill Jesus, 
They're trying to kill Lazarus, Lazarus too. We haven't made our way out of chapter 12 yet, in case you're wondering. They're trying to kill Lazarus too. Why? Because Lazarus is proof that Jesus is who he says he is. So they're planning to kill Lazarus and they're planning to kill Jesus, but they're trying to get it away from the crowd. John 13, verse two, it says, this time, by the time of, of the supper, the, death, the, the devil had already put it in the heart of Jesus, Judas. So as Thursday came, they come into Bethany, into the city for the feast, and we see that they send Peter. We're, we're back now in chapter 12. And he sends Peter to go ahead. And uh, we see that in Luke chapter 22. You won't see it in, in John 12 quite yet, uh, quite uh, right there. And here's what happens. Listen, Jesus sends Peter and John ahead to find a place when they're in Jerusalem for a place for them to eat the Passover. He sends John and Peter he doesn't send all of them. Jesus could have easily just said, hey, listen, all disciples, meet me here. We're going to eat the Passover meal. He doesn't. Why? Because Judas, it's not time for him to deliver him yet. And if Judas would have known where they were going to eat the supper, that would have been a perfect time for Judas to betray him because it was just the disciples and Jesus in a room for six hours. And so he sends Peter and John up ahead. He says, find a man with some water, right? Right? And at, tell him we got to eat the supper. The teacher needs to eat the, the, the Passover. This would have been a believer in Jesus because he would have known who the teacher is. And they give him a spot to eat. Jesus has a few things to do. They got to eat the Lord's Supper. He's got to teach them in the upper room and he's got to make his way to the garden. So listen, Thursday, this Passover would be, this would be the time of sacrifice for the Passover. Right before, listen to this, Thursday night after 6 p.m. into Friday before 6 p.m. would be the time that the lambs are slaughtered, particularly on Friday at 3 p.m., which is exactly when Jesus died. So, so this is when the lambs would be slaughtered and, and the, the, the sacrifices would be made and you would eat from the Lord's table the, the, the Passover, the, the communion hadn't been instituted yet. And then right after that, we're to start the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So here's what the significance is. Listen, you, you think back to the Exodus. You, go, you know in Exodus chapter 12, you see this. The blood of the lamb put over on the doorpost of the house the angel of death would pass over. The, the term Passover literally is translated jump over. He would jump over and they were, they were told to have bread, unleavened bread. And leaven is always used as an imagery of sin in the Bible. It's removed. Little leaven, uh, it, it, it uh, taints the whole lump, right? So the leaven would be removed. They would have to get bread ready, unleavened, to take with them as they exit Egypt of their slavery into the wilderness. And then there would be a third feast that was called the Feast of Firstfruits. Listen to this. So Jesus, amazing imagery here. Jesus, he is the Passover lamb. They would, seven full days of unleavened bread. There would be a full, seven meaning 
representing full eradication of sin, the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then there would be a first fruits, especially the Holy Spirit, that would come inside believers and start producing fruit in the life of the believer and Christ being the firstborn from the dead. So we see this, this Passover lamb. We see this, this symbol of completely taking away sin. And we see Pentecost, which would come, which would represent this first fruits, right? So back to Thursday, they're in Jerusalem, they're into the city, they're in the evening, they're beginning the Passover, they're beginning the Feast of Unleavened Bread, symbolizing what was going to happen. Jesus starts washing their feet, chapter 13, verse 1, you see it there. And what was he symbolizing? Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to do what? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Then he would do the Lord's table, which would represent the, the body and the blood of him, he said it's his hour to depart from the world. It says that he lo- in John chapter 13, he loved them to the end. And Jesus tells of Judas's betrayal. And after he tells of Judas's betrayal, you know what happens? Judas gets up and he leaves. He gets up and he leaves. So Thursday evening is when they eat this Passover meal. Okay? And Thursday evening into Friday morning, listen, Jesus All of this has to happen quick because he has to be arrested, tried, sentenced Friday morning. He's got to go to the cross Friday morning. He's got to die by Friday at three o'clock so he can be in the tomb by six. So that after he's in the tomb, he can be there three days. Meaning before six o'clock on the first day, the full next day, and then after six, on the last day. So, here's what happens. Saturday, he's, he's uh, by Friday, he's in the tomb. I mean, by Friday at three, he's gotta, be, he's gotta die and uh, be in the tomb before six. So here's what's happening. As they're sitting there on Thursday evening, Jesus starts his time with his disciples after Judas leaves particularly. Because Jesus has got to complete this plan. This isn't, he's not a victim. He's got to complete this plan. John chapter 10 says this. Look, no one takes it from me, his life. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to do what? Take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So... After they finish washing his feet, John chapter 13, if you're wondering where we are, here's what happens. Listen, Jesus spends the time with the most intimate words with his disciples. I want you to look at this. Ready? Look at John chapter 13. Now look at John chapter 14. Now look at John chapter 15. Now look at John chapter 16. And all the way through John chapter 17. What is it? Red letter. All red letter. You know what that is? It's Jesus in the upper room with the disciples after Judas has left, after he's washed their feet, giving them this one last time of training, this one last time of teaching, the whole time that he's up there. 
and he's, and he's, and he's, they're taking the Passover. This Passover is 1,500 years of Passovers. This is going to be the last one. Jesus has got to make sure he's in the upper room, takes the Passover. He's got to be perfect, keep the law completely. So he's got to take the Passover. He's got to do this by the evening of Thursday. So into Friday morning, he can be arrested and tried and headed to the cross. But he's also, he's also got to do a couple of other things. He's going to transition from the Passover meal to the inauguration of communion. There will be no more Passover meal. From now on, there will be what? Communion. This is the blood of the new covenant, right? We're, we're operating on new terms here. We're not remembering the Passover anymore. We're going to remember the true lamb that was slain for the people of God. So he inaugurates the communion, the first ever communion, ever. And he's got to do a lot more. He's, he's doing away with the Levitical system. He's delivering uh, his people. He's, he's doing away with the whole Levitical system. The temple's going to be destroyed. Last Passover in the sacrificial system, new communion, new blood, new covenant. We're going. And he's got to have the Passover meal. He's got to expose Judas. Judas. Judas is going to be, uh, ha have an act of Satan through him. He's going to confront Peter's denial. They're going to argue about who's the greatest. He's going to wash their feet. He's going to teach them. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit coming. And he's going to have the high priestly prayer. All during this time from about uh, the evening of Thursday until after midnight on Friday. And then what we see from here is number two, the obedience of Christ. We saw the preparation of Christ, and now we move into number two, the obedience of Christ. And that starts with John chapter 18. John chapter 18. Look at the first line of John chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, when he was all done with his disciples in the upper room, he went out with his disciples. No one was pushing Jesus out the door. This was an act of obedience. He says, okay, communion installed. Wash the disciples' feet. Judas told he's going to de deny me. Peter told, uh, Judas told he's going to betray me. Peter told he's going to deny me. Inaugurating of the communion and done away with, doing away with the Passover, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're up here in the upper room for six hours plus. They're laying, they ever wonder why they're lounging back at the table rather than sitting up straight? They're there for a long time, right? And now Jesus says, okay, time to get up. I got to go. This is obedience. This is complete obedience. So John chapter 18, he, he goes. And this is what Philippians 2 says. Look, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is obedience. This is his love for the Father. This is his love for those who he's going to save. He's, he's, he's tunnel visioned. He's going. He's going to the cross. So it says Jesus went out. He heads to the cross. Here's what happens. He goes across the brook of, of Kidron, and he goes to a garden called what? Gethsemane, on the Mount of Olives. How do you know it's on the Mount of Olives? Well, because in John chapter 18 here, it tells us he goes to the garden. In Luke chapter 22, it tells us he goes to the Mount of Olives. Put those two together. If you put all four together, you got a lot of information. But if you put at least just those two together, you'd probably say, I wonder if the garden's on the Mount of Olives. And then you would verify that it is. 
The Garden of Gethsemane is on the base of the Mount of Olives. And this is a time of prayer and talk about betrayal. The disciples are asleep. And you know why Judas, chapter 18, verse 2, why Judas found him there? John chapter 18, verse 2. Why? You know why? Because that's where they would often go. That's where Jesus' place was for discipleship. That was his Starbucks, so to speak, right? That's where they met. Talk about betrayal. That's where they would go. And so they come, and Peter cuts off this high priest, the, the, the servant of the high priest. His name is Malchus. In chapter 18, verse 10, Jesus says, put away the sword. I've got to drink the cup that the Father's given me. This is pure obedience. And then he left him, and uh, all left him, and they all fled. This is all of his disciples running away. So from here, what happens is Jesus goes to Annas. His father-in-law is Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the one back in John chapter 11 who said it's better that one man die than the whole nation die. Let's kill him. Peter denies Jesus at this point, right? But Jesus says has no denial. He's no denial. He's not retreating from this divine plan. This is purely obedience. Here's what happens. He goes from Annas to Caiaphas, from Caiaphas to Pilate, and by Friday morning, which is illegal to do this at night and early morning, Jesus is heading to the cross. What's ironic is that the Jews wouldn't head into the headquarters of Pilate because they, wouldn't wanna, they didn't want to defile themselves so they can still eat the Passover meal when, in fact, at the same time, they were committing the most evil crime in history. It's twisted. And the Son of God is about to be killed, but this is God's providence in his sovereignty. Acts 4.28, here's what God had planned. This wasn't an accident. Acts 4 says this, to do whatever, this is about Jesus' death, about God doing this by his plan, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what they all meant for evil, guess what God was meaning it for? Good. This is divine fulfillment. Why do we call it Good Friday? Because the very act of killing the Passover lamb counts for God's people. Death jumps over you. you rem it removes your sin completely. You are, you are exodus out of your slavery of sin. You produce fruit in Christ, and you walk around the wilderness until you get to heaven, obeying God's commands, and one day you'll enter the promised land. Right? This is what the Passover, the first fruits, the... Uh, uh, the Passover, the unleavened bread, the first fruits. I mean, this is the story of the Exodus, but this is the fulfillment. No more shadows, right? So Pilate has the authority to kill, but he's not a Jew. He's from his own nation, but the chief priests, they deliver over to him. Jesus' kingdom, he's bearing witness to the truth, he says. He, Pilate says, what do you want me to do with this man, right? We're in chapter 19 now. He says, they say, crucify him. He starts flogging them. They start flogging him, put thorns on his head, a crown, a robe. They strike him with their hands. They, it's like tenderizing a piece of meat, right? And the Jews, because he made himself the son of God, they say is deserving of death. And this is all happening by 6 a.m., 6 a.m. Friday, right? He's delivered over to be crucified. So now there's a third point I want to make as we make our way towards the end of this. And that's the sacrifice of Christ. And that starts in John chapter 19, verse 17. This is his death. The crucifixion. Jesus went out, it says, verse 17, bearing his own cross to show his humanity. He didn't carry it like he was just using his God card and walking up the mountain. 
Instead, a man named Simon of Cyrene came and helped him. He was fully human, so he needed to die. Only humans die. He needed to die for sin. He goes to a place in Aramaic called Golgotha. It's called the place of a skull. And in Luke chapter 22, it tells us that while he was walking up, listen to this, while he was walking up, multitudes of people, even women, which would be unusual for a crucifixion, they were mourning, they were lamenting, and Jesus turns mid-course while he's walking up the mountain, and he looks at people and he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourself and your children. He said, it's going to come one day when you're going to say, blessed are the people who never bore any children. I wish the mountains would fall on us because of the people who reject their only option for right standing before God. And he says, he talks about the wood being green or the wood being versus the wood being dry. And it's a metaphor. It's interesting because he's carrying a piece of wood. And it's fresh, but when it's dry, maybe they'll forget about him. But the idea here is if you've rejected me while I'm here, still alive, what are you going to do when I'm gone? You're the ones who need to mourn and weep. So John chapter 19, Pilate writes this inscription over Jesus' head. He writes, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, which is ironic because that's the truth. But the chief priest said, no, 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 no. Say this man said he was. Pilate said, I've written what I've written. And so that's how it stood over Jesus' head. Two other criminals on each side. One believed and was saved even in his last hour. I wouldn't bank on it, but listen. You can be saved at the very last hour of your, death, uh, of your life. So, John chapter 19. It says that they divided his garments. This was what happened in Psalm 22. They divided my garments, David said, among them for my clothing they cast lots. The picture is that David emphasizes his distress. It's using like an executioner where they would divide the victim's garments to say, listen, it could get no worse. They killed me and they divided the garments. This was, this was horrendous. John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30, the one that we read in the very beginning, Jesus says, it's all finished. When Jesus knew that it was finished, meaning everything that was needing to be accomplished was accomplished to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I thirst. When Jesus knew I completed everything, perfect, I'm gonna die for sin, it's all over, sinners can be rescued, I, I paid the penalty for sin, all of God's wrath upon me, the Father's turning away from Christ because he's bearing the iniquity of sin, he says, I thirst. They give him, a, they give him a, 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 a sponge with sour wine on it, cheap wine. But you know what's interesting is, is that picture of cheap wine, there's no way that that satisfied his thirst, right? Well, here's the pictures. Jesus is more thirsty for his father. He's parched because his father's turned away from him. And just as if that cheap wine could not satisfy his thirst, so no cheap substitute on earth could quench his thirst if he's not in perfect relation with his father. There's cheap substitutes, and Jesus, all he wants is fellowship with his father. His father looks away, forsakes his son, all of his wrath for all of our sin, the propitiation, meaning the wrath-removing wrath sacrifice, the penal substitution, the penalty substitute. Jesus says it is finished, and he gave up his spirit willingly to the father. No one took it. He says it's finished, which is a single Greek word, 
which means it's accomplished. It's found on, uh, on papyra sheets. And you know what it's used for? Receipts. And what does it connote? It connotes paid in full. It's finished, paid in full, on the receipt. That's, what, that's the word he uses there. In Colossians 3, it says this, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, right? Jesus did this. He forgave us completely. So let me explain this as we head to the close. This, from noon to three, this is what happened. Darkness was over all the land. It's interesting because Passover happened always on a full moon. So this was no solar eclipse. It would be poss- impossible. This is supernatural. And here's the big climax. The curtain is torn in two. And you know what Mark says in Mark chapter 15, verse 38? It's torn from top to bottom as if it's coming straight from God. And the holy of holies, and back in Exodus, it said that there was a veil that would stop man from being in relationship with God. And you shall hang the veil, it says, from the class and bring the ark of the testimony in there with the veil. And the veil shall separate you from the holy place from the most holy. Hebrews 9 says behind the the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. And that was ripped. That's what's happening here. Man can draw near to God because he can have his sins removed and forgiven. And you can have fellowship, perfect fellowship with God for all of eternity. No more sin separation. No more sacrifice to be made. No more death as a result of sin. There's a new and there's a living way. And his name is Christ Jesus. And this is his plan. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence now to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new, the living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Your hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. For all who would repent and trust in Christ, you can have fellowship with God because he sacrificed his son for the forgiveness of sins. By three o'clock, we're almost done. By three o'clock, the Passover lamb was slaughtered and that's when Jesus was slaughtered, was dead. He gave up his spirit at the exact time he needed to in God's providence. What would happen is, listen, they couldn't leave the sacrifice on the cross, the the death, the, the, the criminal on the cross overnight because a curse would come upon the land. So what they would do is they would break the, uh, the, the person on the cross, they would break their legs to hasten the death. They would smash their legs with an iron mallet. Shock, more blood would come out. Less breathing, le- more asphyxiation. They couldn't push up with their legs. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead because he gave up his spirit. So they pierced, pierced him and it says blood and water came out. Heart, uh, the, out of the, either the heart cavity or the lungs, water came out. It shows that he's dead. And John is emphasizing this. And he says he even himself was there and saw it. He says, I give witness to this. Why does John say it like that? He says it like that because what he's saying is there is no lie. Jesus Christ died. You got to believe he died because before Sunday, right? You got to believe that he's dead. On Sunday, we have to have assurance that he actually physically died in order to have full assurance that that this was a resurrection from the dead. So he says, this is no lie. Water came out. There was death. He paid for sins. He must really die to to pay for sins. 
Hebrews 9 says this, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Look, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Okay, so he's got to die. Zechariah 12 and 13 says he was, this was to fulfill what was written there. When the, it says when the shepherd is pierced, God was pierced. And that was totally fulfilled in this. Totally fulfilled in this. One last thing before, before our number four, which is quick. No bones, it says in John chapter 19, verse 36, as we make our way out of John chapter 19, says no, no bones were broken. This was to fulfill Exodus 12. Look at this. The Passover lamb, would not, no bones were to be broken on the Passover lamb. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its what? Numbers nine, they shall leave none of it until morning, nor break any of its According to all the statutes for the Passover, they shall keep it. And this leads us to our one final point in light of everything that we've talked about, which is the sufficiency of Christ. Jesus, this Passover lamb, takes, fulfills everything that needs to be fulfilled, brings us near to God, takes away our sins, and this is sufficient for one to be permanently made right before God. For, the, for death to jump over, to remove completely the sin, to cause you to, to be free from your slavery of sin. This is completely sufficient because the Lamb of God was slain. John 1.29 says this, the next day he saw Jesus coming and said to him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the what? 1 Corinthians 5.7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. All your sins can be forgiven. First Peter uh, 1, 19 says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like of a lamb without blemish or spot, there had to be a perfect lamb that could take place, that could take the, 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 the penalty of our sin. And Colossians 2 says this, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority, filled. This is completely sufficient. So listen, this was God's providence. What Satan meant for evil, what these men meant for evil, God meant it for good. And he is, listen, listen, he is a penalty substitute, a wrath substitute. Every human being is guilty before God and God pays the righteous, just penalty to satisfy his own wrath by sending Christ as a payment for sin, so that on, on God's work, you can be made right with him. What's gonna happen after this is there's gonna be a burial, and the burial is, is, is about to happen to show that he was completely dead. And as that burial comes, before six o'clock on, on Friday, he'd be there on Friday, all day Saturday, which is the Sabbath, and then on into Sunday, which is after six o'clock on Saturday, just like he said he would. And then we'll celebrate something far more victorious in the sense that it completes this work that he started on the cross. So understand this, church, as we close tonight. The cross is sufficient. It's sufficient to pay for your sins. You know, there was, in the Old Testament, if, if there was a perfect sacrifice an innocent, blameless sacrifice, it was, able to take, it was able to take the place of the one who had sinned. The sheep were innocent. 
They were without, if they were without blemish. And they, as a temporary sacrifice, could take the place of the one who had sinned. Jesus, how much more? The perfect, spotless lamb permanently takes the place of sinners who trust in him by faith. And he is sufficient to secure your eternity before God. Thank God for the cross. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask you, please, to help us now as we close our service in response and in communion to remember your cross, to love your cross, to live for your cross, to tell people about your cross, and to live in light of your cross. We love you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Christ, that you were prepared, you obeyed, you were sacrificed, and that you are sufficient to forgive us of all of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.